0: tips and to remind you that above all, this too shall pass. Welcome to episode 72 of the Heal Your Heartbreak podcast and today is another expert episode and I am going to introduce you to Jules Weber who is a life coach and an intimacy coach and she has such an incredible story. We really talk in this episode about how to regain the relationship with yourself after going through a breakup. So we talk a lot about how to develop intimacy with yourself, um, how to break the patterns of codependency. Jules found herself at a rock bottom going through a divorce, but also... Not just losing that relationship, but also realizing that her whole life had been defined by other people, by the group that she belonged to, um, by the friendship group that she was in. And so she talks about this moment where she was able to detach herself from all of those things and really just turn inward and working on that relationship with herself and then being able to, you know, branch out from there. There's just so many great little nuggets in this episode. Um, We talk about how the key to building intimacy with a romantic partner starts with having an intimate relationship with yourself and how friendship actually can be such an important tool throughout all of that. We talk about her man pause that, she's been on where she just has decided to take away the distraction from dating for nine months and just focus on her and her life and so Jules is such a magnetic and bright personality and I know she will bring a lot of inspiration to those of you that listen so please welcome Jules Weber to the show Welcome, Jules, to the Heal Your Heartbreak podcast. I'm so excited to get to Hi. connect with you and chat with you and get to know you a little bit more.
1: Me too. Oh, I love your stuff, Kendra. It's just so freaking empowering and energizing, just perusing your Instagram for two seconds. I'm yeah. obsessed with all of your work.
0: Thank you. Thank you. And I was just telling you that I've been falling in love with your stuff too. And one thing I was telling you before we started was... Interviewing people is one of my favorite things I get to do as part of Breakup Bestie. And one of my favorite things that I get to ask people is what led them to where they are now. And I think, you know, just from the brief things that I've read, you have a really powerful story of how you got to be where you are. And I'd love if you could just share whatever you're comfortable with of that journey.
1: Yeah. um, Well, just to like even introduce a little bit of who I am. I'm obsessed with healing and intimacy and femininity and womanhood and all the things. Um, But I think that, you know, uh, such an integral part of my story is that I really had a lot of shame about all of those things. Um, And that shame for me years ago, a decade and a half ago, kind of drove me into this life of like extremes in my belief system and religious beliefs all of that kind of stuff. Um I got married so young. I was this like little, you know, evangelical Christian girl um kind of trying to outrun my my shame about my own like sexuality, my dating choices, boys, all of, you know, just Love to me at that point in my life felt like a disappointing path of like one heartbreak after the other, after the other. And I found that religion at that time gave me like a framework and a structure for kind of being protected from all of that. And I don't want to say that I wasn't like it was the wrong choice to get married. I loved my husband very much and we were really happy for a very long time. At the same time, when that carefully constructed image that i had put together to kind of protect me when it all fell apart everything fell apart the way that i saw myself i had been in touch with and felt pain for the first time in my life and i felt deeply alone in it um went through like a religious and spiritual deconstruction and looked at my feelings and looked at like the truth of who i was and um it was like kind of a rock bottom of sorts you know and it was prompted by a breakup actually. And it wasn't like a romantic breakup even, it was a friendship breakup. Do you
0: ever talk about those kinds of breakup? Yeah,
1: it was actually through friends. Like I had developed all of these sort of codependent friendships and people that I was incredibly close with talked to every day for you know seven, eight years. And I actually had a situation happen where I was pregnant and I flew to Seattle to visit family. And I was like 26 weeks at the time and my baby was born while I was there. Uh, So we were suddenly away from home for like four months while she was in the hospital. Just, you know, she was sick and we had to wait till she was big enough to come home. And when I did go back home, re-entering into those friendships was just so difficult. And I found that I wasn't really able to. And I went through this period of just feeling kind of like abandoned and rejected by my community, by my friends and realized I really didn't have any identity apart from those relationships, just Mm. my whole sense of self. I think anyone that's been through a journey of codependency can kind of relate to that where you invest all of who you are and your energy into like a certain person or people or relationships or a group or whatever it is. And I remember going through like kind of a dark night of the soul when I felt that I had lost the approval and the acceptance of these people. I think that was where I kind of got exposed to the journey of like of healing and intimacy that I now find myself in. I was like, oh, (laughs) like think of like the most abusive relationship you've ever heard of. Right. Like I was kind of finding out that that was the relationship I had with myself. Like I was horrible to myself. I hated myself. I did not like myself. I didn't see myself as deserving of connection, of love, of approval. I felt like I had to earn everything and self-abandonment was like the way that I knew to escape all of that incredible pain. And trying to come back from that, heal from that is like, it's so hard. Um, and it's such a dark place to be in. But I think when you do eventually get to that place where you're like, oh, I'm treading water kind of, and I can kind of breathe again. It's like, there's so much hope there that you have to help other people find it too. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um,
1: so that's why I do this now. <laughs> um, because I can't not. Is yeah. that kind of how it feels for you too? Like. You're like, yes. I, yeah, yeah. It's
0: like the calling is like bigger than you. Like you want, yeah, you get to this place where if I wasn't doing this, I feel like I would be, you know, I'd be like in a coffee shop and I'd hear someone talk about a breakup and I'd be like, "Um, can I be giving yeah. some assistance? Like, you know, it's like, I have to have a channel for this because otherwise I would be going up to strangers <laughs> and giving unsolicited advice. So <laughs> this is much healthier for me. But there were... A few things I wanted to touch on from your story. Thank you so much for sharing that. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: What it made me think of is I had a similar rock bottom moment when I figured out I needed to get sober. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: in the recovery program that I was in, they talked about this thing called the gift of desperation. And I had never thought about it that way. And it wasn't until... I was able to appreciate the growth that I experienced that I realized that that desperation really was a gift. And I think if we can choose to look at rock bottom moments as having that gift of desperation to do different, see differently, think differently. um, Mm -hmm. I think it's just so true of anyone that has been at a rock bottom and has decided to crawl their way out.
1: Yeah. And it's so courageous to do that and even just with you bringing up sobriety i remember feeling like i had to treat my recovery from codependency as like a form of sobriety um yeah. i hate but also love to bring in like a taylor swift reference i'm a total like 32 year old swifty <laughs> do it <laughs> uh, i was like driving around just couldn't sleep around that time of my life when i was feeling so rejected and very much at rock bottom with all of this and just driving the car around at like 3 a.m. And it was kind of a way that I would quiet my mind and the anxiety at the time. And this song came on from Taylor Swift. She has this one that's called Clean. And she kind of compares.
0: Have you heard it? Oh my God. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about. (laughs) I have sobbed. It's brilliant. It's It's brilliant.
1: But for anyone who doesn't know, she essentially compares a relationship and this breakup she's gone through um, to an addiction. And she kind of calls it, she's like coming clean from being addicted to this person. And it was the first time that I had really framed the way that I saw relationships within the context of addiction. And I remember thinking like, oh, I kind of wish this was like a substance or an alcohol thing because I could just flush that down the toilet, but I can't flush people down the toilet. I have to exist in relationships my whole life, but without treating them as addictions or without treating people as these like objects or lifelines to help me escape from my own self-hatred or lack of self-love um people are not lifeboats you know people are people yeah yeah <laughs> like yeah I would I would I just needed people to save me emotionally constantly but as I was kind of driving around in the car realizing that feeling like I had felt this emotional experience of like oh I've like flushed all of these relationships down the toilet like This existence of codependency. And I remember feeling like, oh, did I just, you know, you go back and you kind of rehearse and replay like everything you said. And what did I say wrong that led to this? And how could I have done that differently? And, but I remember thinking like, you know what, though? I don't want it all back. I don't, Mm -hmm. like, there's a measure of freedom I feel right now that I've never felt before. And I don't think I knew at the time like where it was going to take me. I just knew that I had this sense that I was clean. I'm saying air quotes like clean for the first time in my life. And I think there's an integrity that comes with that, that once you feel it, you almost wouldn't trade it for anything. You're like, oh, yeah, okay. So everything does feel really fucked up. But I actually don't want to go back to when it wasn't up in flames anymore, right?
0: Yeah, because I think there's a freedom in the way- like an
1: honesty, a deep honesty in rock
0: bottom. Yes. Like when I got sober, I remember the first, like it was to the point where the gig was up. It was very apparent. So it was the first time I felt like I could be totally honest. And even though the things I was being honest about were not good, I was in debt. I was with this abusive person. I couldn't stop drinking. The truths were not good but there was so much freedom in yeah. being able to be honest in that way. Mhm.
1: And did you find too that like and maybe in this relationship with this person cuz I sort of found like once I finally reached the honesty of knowing like oh I don't belong in this relationship I was like oh you know what? I actually knew that before now. I knew it. And I could look back in retrospect at the moments where I felt uneasy or where it didn't feel right, but I didn't know how to listen to that. And I wasn't ever going to, like if life hadn't forced me, I think I would still be there. I don't think I knew how to access the kind of like bravery and courage at the time that I really needed. Like I have it now, you know, like I I would, I would like let go of a relationship like that in a heartbeat now. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Um, but back then it was like, life had to completely come undone for me to go to look back and go oh that's what intuition looks like feels like sounds like
0: I love this saying like the universe doing for you what you can't do for yourself and there were so many times where it was like okay, we're just going to drag this from underneath because <laughs> yeah. you, you won't let go. So we're just going to have to rip it apart in magnificent fashion um, <laughs> for you to start being able to see that this is what yeah. needs to happen. Oh, and I'm laughing about it now, but
1: like, man, at the time- So painful. Just like a shredding. It's like a
0: slow, painful death by a thousand cuts type of, yeah. Separation, yeah. Oh, and- mm-hmm. Going back to what you were saying in your story about losing those friendship relationships, and I think this ties into the topic of intimacy, I learned how to be intimate with friends friends before I could ever do it with a partner and I remember I had a mentor telling me if you want to learn how to be intimate with a man you first need to be intimate with a woman emotionally you know it's like you have to learn how to trust and be vulnerable when I got sober I was one of the ones that was like I'm just a guy's girl. I don't do girlfriends. I'm just more comfortable around the guys. And what I realized was the reason behind that was because relationships with women, that vulnerability, that intimacy scared the heck out of me. I didn't know how to be myself, so I couldn't have that level of intimacy. And because I couldn't have that, I definitely didn't have it in romantic relationships at all.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think that You know, we say that all the time. Like, and I, it's something I really believe in my work is that if you want a successful and by successful, I just mean, if you want like peace and security in your romantic relationship, like friendship ultimately has to be the foundation. But I think if we don't know friendship, we will substitute romantic connection, attraction, physical validation, sexual validation, all of these kinds of things. I think as a substitute almost and I can see ways like looking back where I sort of did that in my marriage, or I found like artificial belonging in religion or beliefs or like group think or those kinds of things. And I remember like after all of that, going, like, how do I choose my friends now? Like, if I don't have like this like group or this thing to belong to, or we don't have all the same beliefs, like, how do I know who to be friends with anymore? And there's such a journey, I think. Um, And I say this all the time in in dating too, when you're like choosing a partner, you have to kind of get to a point where you're looking for more than your set of like physical or like surface criteria. Like he has to be this height, he has to have this degree, he has to make this much money or be, be from a good family or whatever it is you're looking for in a person that all of these things don't indicate values. They don't indicate character. They don't indicate, you know, his own capacity for love, for emotional availability. And I remember having to completely relearn how to look for those things in people and how to hold myself to a higher standard just for myself and create relationships that weren't based on gossip, um, where we don't talk about other people. Uh, We talk about ideas. We talk about what we think about the world, um, how we're changing the world. Like I had to create like a higher caliber of integrity myself with my interactions with people. And then I noticed like, you know, a lot of relationships would kind of start falling to the wayside because I just didn't engage them as much. Mm -hmm. Um, I had to kind of transition from engaging relationships out of compulsion and people pleasing into just like, no, I'm here with you because I just really want to be here with you. And you're here with me because you just really want to be here with me. Um, and trusting that this like authentic love and connection. And I think I kind of had felt the same way at one point, like women were always the sticking point for me. Cause I think a lot of us carry like a deep sisterhood wound, you know, uh, like we've been betrayed at one point or another. Um, I certainly did not think that I could really truly belong with a group of women or a woman that would just want to see me. Like there was a huge mother wound in me that I didn't really know how to move past for the longest time. And, and that honestly is still my work. <laughs> I found this was the, the case though, when I was married, my husband was like my one primary person for me to emotionally process everything with. And I didn't have like a group of girlfriends for a long time to do that with. And that really like affected, I think our dynamic and our um, our sense of intimacy with each other. You seem like you're thinking of something as I'm saying yeah, that.
0: Well, I like, I always come back to, The I saw Esther Perel speak at South by Southwest a couple years ago, and she's amazing. amazing. And she talks about the load that we put on partners, how Mm -hmm. much we expect of our partners to be there for us. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I know for me, having like past codependency issues as well, that was like a thousand percent true. I thought Mm -hmm. that. Someone needed to be my everything. And what I had to come to learn is I have my husband for certain things. And then I have like, I have certain friends that I go to when I need to talk about like my childhood wounds. I can't talk yeah. about that with every friend, but it's like I have, if I were to look at everything I need in my life, all my needs, sure, there's no one person that could take care of all those things for me. 100%. But if I really look at like, okay, Tiffany can take care of this. Like Luke does, you know, it's like, I'm full, like I'm whole and complete, Mm -hmm. not to mention I have the foundation, which I didn't used to have of being able to do a lot of those things for me. Not like I'm independent. I don't need anyone kind of a way, but just like, I know how to self-soothe. I know how to listen to my intuition. I know how to process, Mm uh, all of those tools that I didn't have at one time. And i I'd love to hear like some of those big shifts that you had that allowed you to go from needing a group, a person, a partner to do those things for you to the point now where you get to help other people find that within Mm -hmm. themselves.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I think like, I, you know, I kind of said at the beginning of this, that I, you know, was kind of in this kind of like a, you know it was a church community and without those people without that community I really didn't have a sense of self I mean so when that fell apart like when I say rock bottom I mean I was in like the deep dark emptiness of like I can't find myself I can't see myself and I have to face like everything I've always judged about myself and somehow find a way to feel like that's lovable and I think I knew like and my gut and my knowing like that all of life is like all consuming and it's chaos and it's a hurricane, and it's a big storm. Find the thread and there's like a little thread and it will just guide you. And if you just hold on to the thread. And so for me, that thread was my integrity, which in my mind is basically like choosing that I'm good, just that I'm inherently good and making decisions that are in line with that goodness. Instead of making decisions that are in line with me being like this horrible, unlovable, rejected human. Like I remember standing in my kitchen once just going like, what if I don't like need to improve myself? What if I'm already perfect just like this? Like what if I just try on that idea for a second? And I remember like my whole body relaxing in that moment. Like I didn't realize even just how in my body my dislike of myself was, my own self-rejection it was so painful. I had like cystic acne blowing up all over me. Um, Endometriosis, insomnia, anxiety, depression. I mean, the physiological conditions that that causes like IBS, you know, it just, it's really incredible. Like what our own self-rejection does, like how our bodies will attack itself when it feels emotionally unsafe. Yeah. And so I was kind of dealing with all of that Because I think when you're like in this codependent place, you sort of overattach to one person or maybe a couple people or an entity or one thing. And you're like, this is the thing that will give me life, that will give me permission, that will give me an ability to be accepted, approved, of, loved, all of my worth, yes, comes from this, this person. And um, that's something that can make a breakup like incredibly devastating, like much more devastating (laughs) than it, it needs to be, right? Um, but what I couldn't grasp at the time was like, well, if I don't have them, then I'm all alone. And it was like, life was this binary, either I'm absorbed into relationships where I completely disappear and I have no sense of who I am, or I don't get to have relationships at all. And I have to be totally alone and by myself. Um, And shame will put you in that binary, this either or, this black and white, where it's like life is constantly like two shitty decisions and nothing ever feels right instead of like the 30 other creative decisions that exist in between those two places that a lot of other options could work. And so I think the place that kind of existed between those two places for me was like, okay, my needs, my emotional needs are so deeply overwhelming. I have so much need. I don't know how to meet all of it by myself and I can't, I could not meet all of my needs just by myself, but I knew that I could take responsibility for all of my needs,
0: hmm.
1: which was a really different thing. It's sort of like, you know, if I made a list and I'm like, Oh, I have a hundred different emotional needs in one day. Cause God knows like I did. <laughs> yeah. And I still do, <laughs> um, and my kids do, and there's no getting around it. Um, I couldn't meet all of them by myself, but I could identify how those needs could be met. And kind of Got like it. what you were saying, yeah. right? It's like, oh, I have all of these different friends and these people, plus my partner, plus my garden, you know, plus journaling. You know, it's like I have tools in my toolbox. Um, I have a lot of them, and so I think that you kind of have to shift into this space, I certainly did, where I was willing to name and identify all of the abundance of ways that I could be cared for that didn't add up to just one solution, one person. Like I'll teach clients this all the time. They're like exhausted in their marriage or they feel like they're not connecting. And and it's like they expect each other to meet 100% of their emotional needs. And I'm like, well, what if you expected your partner to meet like 20%? Yeah. And you got the 80% (laughs) in other places. Right. Um, And you just kind of like reduced that burden on one another. And I think that's so freeing because then you're like, Oh, there's a zillion ways I can be cared for in the world. Like I never have to be dropped.
0: Um, Yes. Because when you live your life in a way where two people are responsible for all of your needs, it's very scary to live in that way because Mm -hmm then if they don't text you back in a certain amount of time or they don't meet your expectations in exactly the way we believe they should, that mm-hmm. means half of my existence is being threatened. Yeah. You know, And I found for me that when I lived my life that way, I couldn't be myself. I had to be who other people wanted because mm-hmm. if I wasn't, then I wouldn't get my needs met. I would not feel worthy. So being able to come to that same realization that you did, which I think is so beautiful because not only am I getting to know myself and my needs, I didn't know so many of my needs of like, I didn't know how much sleep I needed or that I love to cook or that you know, I wind down with like crime podcasts when I'm cooking dinner. It's like, I have all these things that like make me feel good. And I wouldn't know any of those things if I was relying on someone else to fill that void.
1: Absolutely. And I think also there's one thing that was really tough for me was learning to accept no from other people without making Mm -hmm. it into this like, oh, they don't really love me. Like I had to get more comfortable with saying what my needs were and with being okay if they didn't want to be there for me in a moment. Like I think that I had erased my needs and my desires and my longings and my emotions for so long. It was like I only knew how to be in relationships if either my emotions were completely taking up the relationship or if my emotions were completely erased And I didn't know how to live in this state of interdependence of like, oh, we're looking at your needs right now. And that doesn't mean that we're erasing mine Um, or we're looking at mine. And that doesn't mean that we're erasing yours. Um, That, you know, two people can really exist together and have that. And I just had to learn to start looking for that in relationships. Like, oh, this person, they don't want to just like suck all the air out of my body (laughs) right now. (laughs) They're not asking me to disappear. Like just people that could be really secure with me as a codependent that actually felt pretty threatening. Like, oh, this person's really comfortable with just saying no, or with just not talking for a couple of days, or like that was threatening. And so like getting to this place where you're like, oh, I can get my needs met in an abundance of ways is actually vulnerable work, letting yourself live in that space. And I remember one thing that that huge friendship breakup really prepared me for um, was my divorce years later, my marriage, like as much as we loved each other. And I mean, we were so in love for years and years, but, um, it was also kind of like the apex of my codependency and of enmeshment. Mm. And i just, um, didn't, I didn't have any sense of my own individuality without my husband. I mean, we had been together since I was 20. Um, I was so young, you know, and people, you know, they frequently will say that like, we were so young when we met, yes. you know? Um, and I don't mean that to like I think our intentions when we got married were so beautiful. I mean, we were so in love and we were so committed and more than willing and ready to be together for the rest of our lives. And at the same time, I had over time, and he would say something similar, although I'm not gonna speak on his behalf or tell his story here, but I think we had both developed an instinct to preserve or to discover who we were as individuals. I could not name who that was. I couldn't see who that was, but I knew that I was starting to see glimpses of her in myself. But my marriage, it was almost like prohibiting me from really knowing myself, from really living in a state of deep self-care and self-understanding. But when I got divorced, I was like saying goodbye to that one person person that you think is your everything that's never going to leave you um and really putting my own like self-care to the test i mean that's like you're facing your abandonment wound when you let that person go like you know what i mean like it's like really um i think you've experienced that
0: yeah and i was going to yeah. ask like what i have found is you know when someone says like i've never been alone before Mm -hmm. I think a lot of this is yes there are tools that we have and there's support but a lot of it is feeling what it feels like to be alone and realizing you're going to be okay Mm -hmm. like there's so much power in going through your biggest fear in that way and just realizing like yes it hurts yes it's scary but just know like having that deep knowing that I know I'm gonna be okay
1: And I think like for us, like someone that's codependent, like that's really your worst fear. Yeah. Like that's really abandonment that like being alone and facing that. I mean, I just finished what I call a man pause. I did it for nine months where I like haven't been dating or um, really having like guy friends or it was just a, a time for me not to. Uh, seek like validation from men in like literally any form. Like the only date I went on was when I asked my dad to like take me to a nice restaurant. (laughs) So cute. (laughs) Which is great. I never would have done that if I'd been dating and I got to have a great night with my dad that I'll never forget. Uh, And he loved it. But I really like it was the first time in my life that I was like single on purpose and not like single by default, you know, because I think those are different things.
0: Um, Yes. I think people should experience both. I think so too. Yeah,
1: I do. Um, I think if you're single and you can give that to yourself, all of singlehood doesn't have to be and is not, it's like I'm single because I'm just waiting for the relationship to happen. I can also be single because I'm choosing to be with myself. Um, And that for me created a space where I was really able to just kind of like dive into and be with my sense of aloneness in a new way it wasn't like I was there because somebody had left me or because somebody was gone or because nobody cared. It was like, I was there because I really went in there. It's like, you're like the Indiana Jones of your own wound. You know, you're kind of like going in there and just choosing to discover and to be in it. And it's scary. Oh my God. There were moments that I hated it and wanted, it was messy. Um, but I learned so much and I found that season gave me like a new appreciation for partnership and made me like less picky. It gave me higher standards, but also made me less picky, if if that makes sense. That's so Um, interesting. Yeah. It was like, oh, I I think that like any man that I'm with could come in a hundred different packages. But at the same time, I want like the utmost when it comes to consideration and care and love. And I like truly believe that that exists in this world and will show up as my mirror because I feel so much more deeply loved by myself than I've ever felt in my life.
0: Yeah. And I I think what happens when we take that time, I had a time about, yeah, eight, nine months when I went through that. And I think what ended up happening is through all of the healing and self-discovery. And, and I don't know if you were like this, but when I got out of my really codependent relationship. If someone asked me my favorite like color music food, I would panic because I, I didn't oh, I, totally. I physically did not know yeah, any of yeah. those things. Yeah. So by learning all these new things about me, it's like I raised the bar of like this is where mm-hmm. I'm at with me and myself. So if you want to come into my life as a partner, you have to like match it or go above that. Because before, when I hated my company and hated myself, Mm -hmm. the bar was really low. So I would take anyone essentially, because I just needed that validation, attention, companionship.
1: Mm -hmm. And I think that we kind of like reduce ourselves and other people to objects at that point. Like, it's like, I need you to be my security blanket. I need you to be the thing that soothes me. That was really humbling for me, at least, too, as I was sort of processing, like, these friendship breakups or even just processing, like, some of the reasons that I was staying married. I was like, oh, I'm objectifying people. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm keeping them around because I'm just scared of who I am if they're not here. I'm not here because I really love them or because I really see them. Um, and I'm not saying that everything is that black and white either. Like, I think we probably have existed in codependent relationships where we really did love somebody, but that love was really hindered or limited by our own willingness or ability to be with ourselves. Cause I mean, it's hard. Like I remember getting divorced and just feeling so alone when people that I had seen as my good friends, like didn't reach out to me or didn't try to check on me, um, It's like those moments, um, it was such a test of my own bravery and my own integrity because I had kind of judged it before, like with my religious mind. And then I was like becoming the thing that I judged. It just, I felt like the weight of that. And I felt so alone and to own my authentic path and my own authentic choice in that place and not go back on it and not try to like erase it or fix things, but just really feel alone and still really show up yeah at the same time was something I didn't um I didn't know how to do but I was like oh I think I'm doing it it was like another seed of that freedom that I had felt when I was in the car listening to Taylor Swift it was like there was <laughs> another seed during my divorce <laughs> uh but it was like no I really I like I'm choosing what's right for me even though every emotional experience that I've always avoided is now happening Um, And I don't have to make choices to avoid that anymore.
0: Yeah. And I'd love to hear if you were sitting at home by yourself after the divorce or the friendship breakup and you felt that pit of loneliness, Mm -hmm. um, what were some of the things that you did that either helped self-soothe or helped you find some hope? Mm -hmm. Um,
1: Well, I think one thing that... I'm not saying that this helped necessarily, but I think one thing that a lot of us tend to do and that I certainly did a lot of when I was lonely was like scrolling social media or, uh, you know, like looking at other people's things. It's like, I think when we're lonely, we tend to experience this, like what I call the projected ideal where we project this ideal onto other people and we're like, oh, they're so happy and they have it going. And we think it's like all this happiness exists everywhere, but inside of us. And for me, scrolling social media really feeds into that and it made me almost like lonelier. But when I was lonely, sometimes I needed to numb that. Like, I don't think we give ourselves enough grace for how freaking overwhelming loneliness can feel. And if you need to numb that, don't be hard on yourself about it. Like, more recently than I care to admit, I found myself just like, binging sex in the city and eating my daughter's instant macaroni and cheese when I was at home by myself one night because I was like I just don't care to feel all of this right now right and so like that's okay like you can actually kind of like consciously make that choice um and just go no like it's too much and that that's okay um What I didn't want, and what I felt very vulnerable to, especially after my divorce, and I felt like this could very easily happen, was that numbing could become my whole life. And I knew that I had used relationships to numb, I had used food to numb, I had used social media. Um, I had to make this rule for myself that I was never gonna drink alone, because I just knew what the slippery slope that that could turn into for myself. Um, And I knew myself and my addictive tendencies. And so I think just like understanding, like going into it with this understanding of, okay, I'm going to feel lonely and I'm going to have a really intense desire to escape that. So when that happens, because there's almost nothing we would rather be less than lonely, like that's kind of like the bottom of the bottom in terms of, you know, maybe
0: shame is the only thing that's like beneath that. But they're Um, so intertwined to shame and loneliness. They
1: are. Um, And so I would have to feel like, okay, if I need to numb, that's okay. I'm going to give myself the grace not to beat myself up about it. But also at the same time, I need to come up with resourced ways to like invest in my own self-worth at the same time and so um, gosh I got into running a lot because I would just feel so good after I did that Um, I made sure to put a lot of plans in my calendar I think sometimes you know cultivating a busy life is a way that we avoid our emotions but I also knew that for me it was good not to just be sitting on the couch all the time Just anytime I got invited to something like I would be like, yes, I'm a go or um, I just I needed to get out of the house. I also needed like I'm a mom and having my kids around on me all the time was really overwhelming. And I didn't always feel like I had the space to just journal. Um, And so I got really good at meditation, like meditating right in front of my kids. They would be climbing all over me and I would just be like still. With my eyes closed, and they That's would know so like we can't make mom do anything to save our lives right now. Like ooh, she's meditating. Um, and I would have like my nine-month-old crawling on me, my three-year-old on the other side, and they would, you know, eventually give up and leave me alone and like watch a show. And then I would like, it's just a 20-minute meditation, like I've got to get this in, you know. Um, and that kind of gave me a little bit of space from all of the thoughts that were making me more lonely. Meditation. For me, kind of, you know, especially with a mantra, like if you're doing transcendental meditation, I think of it as like spinning cotton candy. It just kind of gathers everything. Um yeah. So I wasn't so overwhelmed by my thoughts all the time. Um, and nature, honestly, when nobody and nothing can hold you, nature can. Oh, I went on so many hikes. Um, I agree. Yeah so many hikes what about you nature is deeply soothing for me
0: so soothing for me and I for me it was even more powerful because my ex had gotten me into hiking and so it was something that I felt was taken from me and so when Mm -hmm. I got to realize that it was not taken from me and it was something that I could something that I deeply enjoyed Mm and yeah still do Mm -hmm. to this day um and I loved what you said about numbing's okay I always tell people like distractions get a really bad rap oh my gosh, we can't feel everything all the time. It's completely overwhelming. Mm -hmm. Um, I think when we're lonely, like when you were talking about social media, I think it also becomes this thing where we start telling ourselves that we deserve to be lonely. And it's going back to what you were saying in the beginning about your integrity of like, what if I thought of myself as good? So being able to distract from that and changing our mindset around, like I'm lonely but I'm loved, you know. Mm-hmm. It's not, you know, they they don't depend on one another. We can be both of those things 100%. at the same time. And I also wanted to ask you. I think there's so many beautiful things about the culture that we're in, where so many people are into like self help, self development. I think anyone listening to this like can find a partner exactly as you are right, you know, right now. Um, But I think there's this thing of always needing to be at the next thing before, then I'm deserving, then I have self-worth. So I was, I'd be curious on your thoughts.
1: I mean, I do have thoughts on that because I, especially if you have a codependent background, which probably most of the people listening to this yeah. do. Everybody is born into codependency. It's just to what degree did you learn to become a functional adult? <laughs> like when you became an adult? And some of us really, like I didn't, I learned that later in adulthood, right? Um But when we have this codependent background, which underlying all of it is just how do I earn love? How do I become enough for love? How do I stop being such a burden? How do I stop being too much to people? All of that. Self-help can just become another form of that, of thinking like, oh, I need to be healed enough. I got to do the work. I got to blah, blah, blah. I got to work for love, essentially. Here's what I would say to that. Self-help is totally unnecessary work. (laughs) It is like... If you are well in life, if you've got great relationships and you're happy, you can provide for yourself like there's no reason to do any of this. And what I would say is that like if you're in pain and you can look at why that pain is there and feel better, then this work is serving you. But if you keep giving yourself this like moving target that you just push back and you push back and you push back because I still have to do this thing and learn that thing so I can become enough to finally meet somebody, you're just serving the old paradigm. And one like even just little example that's coming to mind for me, and I can give you two where it really shows this contrast uh, was like, I remember this one time I was holding my newborn baby. We just bought her home from the hospital. And this was when like my friendship breakup was happening. And I remember looking at my baby, like feeling like she was mad at me. And I'm like, this is a newborn. What the ever loving fluke, you know? And uh, like a perfect example of projection, right? Of just like putting myself through all of this pain and self-hatred. That's a great example of, of where I was just like, Oh, I need to just learn how to love myself the way that I love my daughter. And I started doing this exercise with myself that I give to clients all the time where I'm like, uh, like get in your journal and talk to yourself the way that you would talk to a little girl as their mother, like just expressing love and gratitude and appreciation. And I love you and I'm proud of you and all this stuff. So that's an example of the work really serving me. Um, One example where it wasn't really serving me was like, I was doing my man pause and I was like, okay, when am I going to be done so I can start dating? When am I going to be finished baking in the oven? And I know, you know, and it's like, I'll be this complete work of art. I mean, I can know that I can enter back into the dating world being like this whole and complete human, right? Yeah. Um, And the truth is like, I never needed to do a man pause for that reason. I could have just chosen the relationship thing a long time ago if I wanted to but I wanted to feel better just in myself. And I feel so much, like, I'm so glad I did this. I feel a level of freedom I've never felt in my life, but that should be the only intention we bring to self-help is like, what freedom can I have? How can I feel better? And if it's not doing that, like, let's back up. Cause really yeah. it's not necessary. It's not, it's just, if it can be medicine in some yeah. ways. That's kind of how I see it.
0: I had a similar example where my parents were like, you know, always, I never needed or wanted for anything. Like they really took care of us, like financially with help with, like, I never felt like I had to really work for that much. Mm-hmm. And so my biggest fear has always been being a burden, like you mentioned.
1: Yeah.
0: And so when I got sober, I did all this stuff. I became financially independent. I, you know, like righted all my wrongs. I, yeah. you know, just did all these things for myself and I became so independent. And I still felt like a burden. It was like- Because you're becoming
1: independent to protect yourself from that feeling. Yeah. yeah, And
0: I did did the same exact thing. I like swung to the other side of the spectrum. Yeah. All the self-help telling me how to be independent and raise my self-esteem and raise my self-worth by doing things and acting. It was like, I just had to make the decision on- I love myself, and it wasn't mm-hmm. a series of actions that was yeah. going to, to do that for me. so I love that of being able to recognize that there are tools out there if you need them. And I think you know those listening that are at the the depths of a breakup, like there are so many tools and supports, but I also you know work with clients that feel like they're not ready to date because they don't feel good and, you know, they don't feel like good yeah. enough yet. And, um, and so I just like to tell people, um, you know, that they are, it's like, I've come to the thing, like any work that I do is like cherry on top. And I do like little tweaks here and there, but for the most part, like I try not to get these like ideas of grandeur of, um, I'm going to change who I am.
1: hmm and honestly, like there's such a rush that comes with that big, fast change. I think in the beginning, um, I mean, you kind of remember it probably like, I remember when I first started feeling permission, not to have to be so compulsory with relationships or not to have to be so codependent. And it was so cool. It was like, I was seeing leaps and bounds of change all the time. And when I stopped seeing that, I was like, is this still working? Like, am yeah. I <laughs> have I gone off the, the path, you know? Um, but i found now like i really hardly even read i don't even read self help books anymore unless i feel like very very inspired to like hear somebody else's voice um and i used to just be addicted to them i mean it yeah. was like and i don't say that like as a i mean i just was all was so hungry um i think all the time for self help and If you think that the work is to that you're successful in your work quote, which I would just even remove the word work out of this entirely. Um, But if you think that you're successful in this because you feel good enough now or you need to feel good enough in order to know that you've done enough, then what I would say is like, why don't you just go date not feeling good enough yet Mm -hmm. and let yourself just be vulnerable and honest that that's where you're at. And in that space, have boundaries anyway, and have standards anyway, and be kind anyway, and be a human and watch how fast you create intimacy in that space, right? Like, have support, like, do this with people around you. Like, there's no need to be alone in it. Um, but yeah, we're not earning anything here. And I don't think that we all necessarily feel that all the time. For me, I had to learn, and I'm still doing this all the time, like, to make choices that align with the belief that I'm good enough right now, even though I don't feel it all the way in my body.
0: And I think there's a lot of power to in approaching, like when you talked about like going into the belly of the beast of like, mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of power in doing things with curiosity yeah. of, I'm not going to judge how I feel. If I feel scared, I'm not going to judge it. I'm just going to say like, you know, what is it about this situation that scares me? And like, mm-hmm. There's no right or wrong answer. So it's like, go on a date. Yeah. How does it feel? Spend a night alone.
1: Mm-hmm. How does it
0: feel? That was something my dad always taught me is be curious rather than judgmental of others and of yourself. Well, and like I think that. yeah. And there's just so much, so much power in that. And and it goes back to the thing what we were talking about earlier is like so much of this healing and the codependency and overcoming loneliness is sometimes you have to feel it to just know that it's not going to kill you.
1: Yeah, it's not. Like,
0: it's
1: not going to. But it's scary. And
0: I just validate that. Yeah. Yeah. And no matter what, you can always validate how you're feeling because there's no right or wrong way to feel. Yeah for sure. Well, thank you so much for coming on and talking to me. I loved our conversation. Um, and I'd love if you could share how can people find you and work with you and, you know, be able to soak up more of your yeah. amazing wisdom on all of these topics.
1: Um, well, you can find me at Instagram. That's how um, you and I discovered each other's work. Yeah. Um, my Instagram handle is Jules, J U L E S Weber, W-E-B-B-E-R. My website is julesweber.com. I mostly do one-to-one coaching and group coaching, which we are going to launch again in a couple of months. And I have some courses and things, but um, mostly my community engages just around my writing and my stories and all of that. So you can always just hop on over and just say hi any old time. I love talking to everybody and yeah, just being like engaged with all of our relationship journeys. Yeah.
0: Amazing. Well, I will put all that in the show notes as well. All the links thank and thank you so much. I appreciate you and excited to learn more from you.
1: Thanks. Same here. Your work <laughs> helps people feel way less alone. Like if there's like one thing that I want in this world it's that I, I think I just want women to not have to feel alone. Yeah. And that's why I love your work so
0: much. Break up. Well, and same and to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah? yeah. Right. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye. I always end these episodes the same way, reminding you to be nice to yourself, stay connected with loved ones, and the biggest reminder is that this too shall pass. I promise. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McKrispie Sandwich, but you're the Filet-O-Fish Sandwich all day.